And so the, the title of my message today is Bitter to Better. Uh, I believe God wants us to go from bitter to better. I think he wants us to live a life of better. Amen? And so many of us face bitterness. Many of us are bitter and we don't even know why. Sometimes you're bitter and you don't even know who you're bitter at. Uh, I've, I've been bitter at my wife. I've been bitter at my kids. I've been bitter at my pastor. I've been bitter at, my, at God. I'll just be honest with you. I've been bitter at God at times because I was praying and believing for something and it didn't happen. I'll never forget uh, about a year and a half ago, I was down on, on with my back. Um, I, I'd blown a disc in my back and ruptured a couple of other ones and, and I was in a bad spot and I was crying out to God, believing for him to do a miracle and I ended up having to have surgery and I felt like, just me personally, I felt like surgery was a failure. Like I should have had enough faith for God to heal my back, right? You ever been in that situation before? I had to guard my heart that I didn't become bitter towards God because he didn't give me what I was expecting, Right? Many of you have been dealt with harshly. You've been dealt with wrong. Uh, so maybe some things have been stolen from you. Maybe you've missed out on some things in life. And maybe there were some failures there that, that have caused you to become bitter. Maybe there was a marriage that you couldn't fix it. You couldn't make it work. And it, it fell apart and, and, and you became bitter and you didn't even know really towards who. But bitterness, I believe we all struggle with bitterness. It's not something we wear on our sleeve. Uh, I don't see too many people posting on Facebook about, hey, woke up this morning full of bitterness. You know, I don't, I don't see that happening. Not a whole lot of people go around saying, hey, I'm bitter today. You know, it's, it's kind of something that we suppress, something that we hide, something that we keep inside. But here's the truth about bitterness is it always leaks out. Bitterness shows up in many different ways. You can hear bitterness in somebody's voice. You can see it in their countenance. If some of you could see yourselves this morning, you look a little bitter this morning. Like my husband got me out of bed, brought me to this church. Oh, my God. I don't know. Just saying. Could be. But, but bitterness can show up, and it will show up sooner or later. But there's many reasons that we can get bitter. But here's the problem with bitterness is it's not good for us. Bitterness will never bring you anywheres in life that God intends for you to go. The longer you stay bitter, the worse it gets. I'm going to show you in Scripture that the Bible's very clear about bitterness and that it's very dangerous and it's something that can really mess some things up for us. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Like I said, I know none of you struggle with bitterness, but just listen to the message anyway. Verse 14 the author is saying, pursue peace with all people. Say all. <laughs> you got anybody in your life you, you having a hard time having peace with? Anybody got a little sandpaper in their life? Got somebody that's annoying? Somebody that's frustrating? Maybe a coworker? Maybe a boss? If you don't have somebody, maybe you're that person to somebody. I don't know. Just saying. Pursue peace with all people and Holiness. So the author is saying that you need to pursue. Some translations say work at. Christian's favorite word is work. Work at peace with all people. Work at holiness. It's something that we have to pursue. Something that we have to work towards. Amen? So he says to pursue it. 
And here's why. Without it, which no one, without it, without which no one will see the Lord. Wow. So if you're, if you're not pursuing peace and you're not pursuing holiness, then the Bible says that you will not see the Lord. Now, the word see is not what you think it, it means. It, it doesn't mean to see with your eyes because some of you just went, well, that's cool. I've never seen the Lord anyway, so I'm all right. <laughs> or maybe you said, well, I'll see him later on. I ain't worried about seeing him now. No, it, it means to spend time with, to be in the presence of, to be in a relationship with. It's kind of like when we say, somebody says, well, where you been? I, I went and saw so-and-so, right? What'd you do? You went and visited that person, right? And, and so you visited with them and you spent time and you worked on the relationship. So the Bible says if you don't pursue peace with all people and you don't pursue holiness, you're not going to spend time in the presence of God. Not my words, it's the Bible's words. Which means this, that peace is my responsibility. Holiness is my responsibility. Now, when I gave my life to Jesus, the Bible says that I was made righteous, which basically means I'm now in right standing with God. I was his enemy, but now I'm his son or daughter. I'm in right standing. That's good. Amen. I mean, that's, that's somebody should say, praise God for that. You can talk back. I know it's raining, but okay. I preach long when the, when the crowd's quiet. Just to warn you, um, lost my point. So when we give our lives to Jesus, we're made righteous, but holiness is something that we have to pursue. Let me give you a little bit of uh, good news about holiness. As soon as you set your heart to pursue holiness, God sends the Holy Spirit to help you. Amen? You got an addiction or you got something you're struggling with, a bad relationship, if you'll pursue holiness and say, Lord, I'm going after holiness. I don't want to step in this anymore. I'm going after holiness. He'll say, okay, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. Right? As long as you're working on it, the Holy Spirit's helping you. Look at your neighbor and say, I know you're a work in progress. Some of you have been waiting to say that for years. That's okay. So without peace, with all people, and without holiness, it's impossible to spend time with God. Verse 15, looking carefully, lest, lest any of you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by this many become defiled. The Bible is saying that we have to pursue peace, we have to pursue holiness, and we got to be careful not to fall short of grace. Let me explain that to you. To fall short of grace is, is to abuse grace. It's to take grace for granted. It's what we call today greasy grace. How many of you know what greasy grace is? Greasy grace is, is I can continue to sin and live my life the way I want to live it because God will always forgive me. That's greasy grace. You know what happens with greasy grace? You slip, you fall, and you get full of grease. Your life becomes a mess. Because you're constantly not pursuing holiness, you're pursuing your own desires and your own lust and the own, your own hungers in your life, and you're pursuing and doing your thing and not God's thing, assuming that he's going to always forgive you. Greasy grace. The way God's dealt with me is, is that when I continue to pursue sin instead of holiness, he'll begin to warn me. He sends warnings to me. He'll kind of like get me almost busted. And I'll go, ooh, come on. 
But let me tell you something. I can't assume that that's always going to be there. I can't assume that God's going to always cover me and not let people know my sin. Because one day, if I continue to keep my heart hard towards him, he's going to expose me. He will expose me. So he's going to warn you. He's going to warn you in your quiet times. He's going to warn you in private. He's going to whisper to you. You need to let that go. You need to stop pursuing that. You need to give that up. Pursue holiness. Come on, you're better than this. He'll warn you. But if you're not careful, he'll expose you. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but that's grace right there. That's grace. That's God saying, I know you got faults. I know you got failures and shortcomings. I'm not going to expose you from the get-go. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to try to be with you. But if you continue to do your own thing, eventually I'm going to expose you. So he says, looking carefully, lest no one or anyone fall short of God's grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. So watch this. Bitterness is going to cause you trouble. Now, how many of you came to church this morning and said, I got to go get me some trouble? Come on. How many of you need more trouble in your life? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. I got a whole team ready to pray for trouble for you. Anybody? Anybody want more trouble? Well, then maybe we need to get rid of some bitterness. Because bitterness causes me trouble. And then watch what it says after that. It says, springing up cause springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled so watch this so if i continue to be bitter and i let bitterness spring up in my life it's going to cause me trouble but then it's going to begin to defile everybody around me i'll never forget a story of a family that that was offended by by uh, the pastor of this church and and the, the parents got offended and their offense turned into bitterness. And, and, and the pastor and the, and, the, and the kids had a great relationship and everybody loved each other, but the parents got bitter. And then before long, the kids couldn't even look at the pastor anymore. Before long, the whole family was defiled because of the parents' bitterness. So your bitterness is going to defile the people around you if you're not careful. I'm hoping I'm scaring you. Is it working? (laughs) Bitterness needs to be dealt with. The Bible's very clear that it needs to be dealt with now because in verse 16 and 17, he throws up this story of Esau. If you'll remember the story of Esau, he was the one that sold his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. Esau was a, he was a wild man. He was a hunter, an outdoorsman, and he comes in and he's starving. You ever been so hungry you'll sell everything to get you something to eat? You'd be like, man, you can have one of the kids. I mean, whatever. I need some soup. I'd, I'd have probably sold it for a steak, but it's not soup. But anyway, so Esau comes to his brother. He says, hey, man, I'm dying. Will you please give me a bowl of soup? He says, give me your inheritance. It throws it into the middle of this story right here. And, and so Esau gets thrown in. Watch what it says, verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Watch this. Esau comes in in a moment, forfeits his inheritance for a bowl of soup, assuming or presuming that it wasn't going to be taken from him. 
And his brother took it. And when he realized his brother took it from him, because he gave it up, he became bitter. His bitterness turned into rejection because he then became rejected by his father. And his rejection put him in prison in himself so that he could never find repentance. He could never ask for forgiveness. He could never find the repentance he was diligently looking for because his bitterness turned into rejection which kept him from receiving or giving repentance. The Bible throws it in at the end of that story. You see where where bitterness will take you? Bitterness, and, and I'm praying this morning that the Holy Spirit just begins to show you maybe the area that you're bitter, maybe the person that you're bitter at, and so that you can begin to deal with that because he doesn't want you to live in bitterness. Excuse my English, but he wants you to live in betterness. Amen? So let me give you a couple reasons for bitterness. Number one could be disappointment. Maybe you're just disappointed. Maybe you didn't get what you thought you deserved. I mean, I was bitter for years at my dad because he he wasn't my dad. Ran out on me. Bitter. 18 years I stayed bitter at my dad. Wrecked my life. As a young teenager, I was, I gave my life to Jesus at 12. Right there in, in, in Reshard at the ABC camp. Gave my life to Jesus. 12 years old. I played on the... I played the, well, we didn't have a worship team, but I played the organ and the piano for the church I went to. I was involved in church, but inside of me was growing something that was unhealthy. It was called bitterness towards my dad. When I became 15, 16 years old, that bitterness took control and turned into anger, and I started rebelling. I rebelled against my mom. I rebelled against any authority in my life. I began to drink and smoke and do drugs and chase girls. (laughs) I was only 15. And chase girls and, and, and all these things. And I, I started pursuing this stuff that I wasn't supposed to pursue because there was something inside of me causing me to feel something that I didn't know what to do with. I was bitter. And it took me places I never wanted to go. Made me do things I never wanted to do. So I became bitter. I was disappointed. I didn't have a daddy like everybody else did. Maybe it's a letdown. Maybe somebody let you down. Maybe it's failure. Maybe you just hate to fail. And when you fail, maybe you're bitter at yourself. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe words of others or actions of others. Abandonment. Maybe somebody walked out of your life. Maybe it was change. You don't like change. Well, I remember one of my kids couldn't stand change. Every time we'd change something, they'd freak out. Thank God they'd been delivered. Uh, misunderstanding. Maybe it's your perspective. You ever get, let me ask you a question. You ever get mad about something and kind of speak your mind and then realize that you totally misinterpreted the whole situation? Anybody ever do that? Come on, raise your hand. Make me feel better this morning. I'm not the only one. You feel like a fool, right? Because you had a bad perspective. So sometimes a perspective or misunderstanding will cause bitterness in your life. So how do we go from bitter to better? Look at your neighbor and say, bitter's bad. That was weak. Say it again. How do we go from bitter to better? Let me give you the definition of bitterness. I used an awkward definition this morning. 
it wouldn't be what you thought. Bitterness is sharpness of taste or a lack of sweetness. How many of you like coffee black, straight? How many of you? Anybody? Nobody likes straight black coffee? <laughs> oh, man, this is a good crowd. I had a couple of cats in the first service. They, they like black coffee. I'm like, you, you just, anyway. I like to put some what? How do, you, how do you deal with black straight coffee? Sugar. What else? Cream, right? I'm like, I don't, I don't say this all the time. But I'm like, I'm like a, an adult coffee, uh, coffee milk drinker. <laughs> you better have some cream in that thing, man. Otherwise, I get heartburn. But it's a lack of sweetness in the coffee, so you have to do something to sweeten it up, right? So bitterness is a lack of sweetness or sharpness of taste. So just remember that. We'll come back to that at the end of, at the, end of the message. So how do we go from bitter to better? Number one, go, well, before I give you the point, let's go to Exodus chapter 15. Turn with me to Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. I want to set the story up for you. It's the, it's the nation of Israel. Uh, you remember the story where they were in Egypt, right? They were uh, enslaved. They were prisoners. They'd been there for many years. Uh, they were now the Egyptian slaves, and they were getting treated harshly, and they began to cry out to God. And remember, the Bible says that God heard their cry, and he sent Moses. Remember, he spared Moses' life from a childhood, from when he was born, and Moses ended up in the house of Egypt, all that story. So anyway, come fast forward, come to the point, Moses comes back, God sends him back, Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. He says, no, and then this big old drama of plagues and all these things begin to happen until finally God smites all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians and Pharaoh gets up and he goes take your people and go remember that remember the story so so they go now I want you to understand this story a little bit better this morning and I really want you to place yourself in there with those Israelites and I want you to begin to feel what this was like because it's important so so they they get released Pharaoh says, take your people and go. Now, you would think they take off running. They can't. It's several hundred thousand people. I mean, it's a massive amount of people, babies, elderly, uh, the the young, the middle-aged. They had all their livestock. They had all their dry goods. They had everything they needed to live packed on buggies and wagons, and they were carrying stuff. They couldn't move fast. It was like, go, and they're like, You follow me? So they go. And then what happens next? They get cornered. They get pressed up against the Red Sea. And they turn around and look. And Pharaoh, who said leave, is now pursuing them to kill them. Wow. The enemy's got them cornered, right? He's got them pressed up against the Red Sea. Put yourself in their shoes. They start to freak out. I bet some of them said... I wish we could just go back to Egypt. At least we'd still be alive. They could see no way out. They could see no hope. They had no hope. They couldn't see a way for God to rescue them. They would, all they knew is that they were pressed up against the sea. Life was about to get really bad. Things were going to end. Life was going to end. The enemy was coming. And all of a sudden, the Bible says the Lord drops a pillar of fire. Imagine that. I mean, like, a pillar of fire. And Pharaoh has to stop. So the Lord stops the enemy from pursuing them. Put yourself in their shoes. Begin to feel what they're feeling. The heck is that? Moses cries out to God. God says, put your rod in the water. He puts his rod in the water. And God does something supernatural. 
In other words, not natural. He took the water, a gazillion gallons of water from my own estimations, a gazillion gallons of water, he parts it, builds a wall with it, dries up the bottom of the sea, and says, okay, you can go. (laughs) Imagine what they were feeling. Imagine what was going through their minds when they saw the sea part and the walls rise up. I love the cartoon version the best because it shows like when the lightning strikes, you can see like the whale passing by. I thought it was like cool as all get out. You seen the, 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 the cartoon version? I mean, it's, it's cool, man. I would have been like, ooh, a redfish. Uh, catch me. <laughs> We're going to have fish, fish tonight. But they're walking through this thing on dry ground. Remember, they're not moving fast. There's a bunch of them. They got babies. They got elderly. All their supplies. They're walking through the sea. They're walking through a way of escape that wasn't there before. an escape that God created. And by the way, you need to never forget that God's still the creator. Just because you're pressed up against something or you feel like your back's against the wall doesn't mean that God can't still create a way out. Because it's not humanly possible doesn't mean it's not God impossible. Right? God can still create an opening where there is no opening. He can still create provision where there is no provision. So they walk through this. They come out on the other side. Think about this. They start to look back. Wow. The pillar of fire releases. The enemy comes, gets down in the same place that they were at, and the Lord covers them up with the water, destroys their enemy. Imagine what they're feeling. Oh, my God, what just happened? Did you just, like, did you just see that? Did you just, did you, did we just really do that? I mean, like, 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 really? Did did we just walk through the ocean on dry ground? Did God just deliver us from our enemies? Are we really free? Oh my gosh. Think about it. Put yourself there. They're freed from captivity. They just experienced something that nobody else experienced. They didn't have the cartoon. (laughs) Right? This is first time event, man. This is first time experience. God had never done this miracle before. And he's still doing new miracles today. Right? They're on the other side and they're going, wow. And then the Bible says they break out in praise. Now, I'm not talking about kumbaya. You follow me? I'm not talking about some little dignified praise. I mean, think about it. If God just took you out of slavery, delivered you from your enemy, held him back and brought you through an ocean. And you get on the other side and you're still alive and you're dry. Come on. You're just going to say, oh, well, praise the Lord. What's going to happen to you? You're going to shake your butt. You're going to jump. You're going to dance. You're going to twist. You're going to shout. You're going to sing. The Bible says Moses broke out in the song. He just like wrote a song (laughs) and just starts singing the song. The Bible says that Miriam, one of the prophetesses, she takes a bunch of women. The women break out. So think about this. The women starts. That's hope for all you women that don't have rhythm. It can happen. They begin to praise like, like it's nobody's business unashamed, unafraid, don't care what nobody thinks. Listen to me, when God delivers you from something, you forget about how good you look. Or you think you look. 
You'll get your praise on. You'll begin to shout. You'll begin to dance. (laughs) Point number one, never lose your praise. Never lose your praise. Exodus 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. I just see them shouting and dancing and marching. You ever, you ever get in a moment where it seems like life's coming against you and everything's coming against you? And, and maybe you're in your car. For me, it happens in the car a lot. I'll crank up some of my favorite tunes, my worship songs or praise songs, and I'll start singing. Sometimes I sing in tongues. Sometimes I sing in English. Sometimes I don't know what I'm singing, but I'll just begin to start singing and praising and worshiping God. And before you know it, I forgot about all my problems. You ever do that? Well, you just start to praise God so hard that you forget about your problems. That's the miracle of praise. It's the kind of thing that that causes you to forget about time and space. It's the kind of praise that changes your attitude towards your situation. They just got delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. And now they're praising God. And the Bible says that Moses is leading them out into the wilderness. So Moses brought them from, uh, brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They couldn't find water, so they began to get thirsty. Remember, they were just praising like nobody had ever praised before in history. Verse 23, now now when they came to Myra, or Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Mara is the name that Naomi, remember the story of Ruth? Naomi's mother-in-law, when, when, when Naomi's mother-in-law lost her husband and all of her sons, she changed her name from Mara, I mean from Naomi to Mara, because Mara means bitterness. She said, I've lost everything, I've lost my praise, I've lost my ability to rejoice, just call me Mara. Just call me bitterness. You see, sometimes things happen to us that are outside of our control. And if we're not careful, we'll take on the name of Mara. So they're at a place called Mara, which which represents bitterness. Verse 24, and the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Think about this. Isn't it amazing how fast we can go from praising God to pouting about our situation? How fast we can go from praising God and shouting and dancing and celebrating His victory to complaining and murmuring and fussing and griping? Isn't it amazing? I had a three-hour day one time. One day I had a great day, spent some time with with a guy, heard his story, got to know him better. Man, God's just doing incredible things in his life. I was so fired up. And so excited, I left that thing. He's like, man, God, praise you for working in his life. Lord, I'm so excited for him. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going on. And, and three hours later, I'm wrestling with another guy on another side who's being a knucklehead. And I went from praise to pouting in no time. Three hours. 
I lost my praise. You know what God's intentions are for us? To praise him at this mountain and to praise him all the way through the the valley to this mountain. To never lose our praise. If you don't have anything to praise about today, keep praising about yesterday. Amen. Keep praising about yesterday until you get the next thing to praise about. Don't lose your praise because when you lose your praise... You start to complain, you start to murmur, you start to gripe. Watch this. Bitterness starts to rise up inside of you. Rejoice for what you can rejoice for until he gives you something else to rejoice for. Never lose your praise. It just came from one of the greatest experiences known to man. Think about that. And now they're at a pool that's just got some bitter water. I'm going, man, you walked into a situation where the water was bitter, but you just walked out of a situation where God took a gazillion gallons of water and moved it to the side. I think if he can move a gazillion gallons of water, he might could change the taste of this water. If he moved the sea, he might be able to do something in this pool. Isn't it amazing how sometimes the littlest things can throw us off course? Sometimes the simplest things can destroy our attitude, can wreck us. I mean, sometimes you just you just got to look at yourself and go, I got mad about that. Like, really? They just left the experience in the sea and they walk up on the bitter waters of the pool. And they murmur and complain. You're going to learn in this in this story that God says this was a test. (laughs) You see, it's easy to praise God when he does supernatural things in your life and things are moving and shaking and your enemies fall into your left and to your right. But when you walk into some situations where there's, there's really not an enemy, but there's something that you can't have. It's amazing how our attitude changes. It's amazing how it changes. I want to show you the difference between Moses and the people. Verse 24, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. I talked about this last Sunday. If you were here, I, I preached a message on, 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 on crying out to God and how God's not moved by our circumstances. He's not even moved by our needs. He's moved by people who cry out to him. So watch this. Who got the miracle? Who got the miracle from God? Was it the people or was it Moses? It was Moses, right? Why? Because Moses cried out to God, but the people complained. Complaining gets you nowhere. Your husband stays in the shop because you complain too much. He don't even like being in the shop. Well, he never comes in the house. Because when he does, you complain. I don't know who that's for, but it doesn't happen in my house. I don't, my shop's dirty, so I mean, it's. They complained. Watch this. They complained, but he cried out. He got God's attention. They didn't. You know what I find amazing? <laughs> I'll come to that later. Moses cries out and God shows him something that he didn't see before. 
shows him something that he didn't see before. Watch this. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Now, let me tell you something. The tree didn't just pop up. Come on, the tree just didn't go like, come out the ground. The tree was there. You ever run around the house looking for your glasses, freaking out? Have you seen my glasses? And one of the kids goes, they're on your head. You ever do that? Ever have something right in front of you? The thing you need is right in front of you. You're standing on it. Isn't it amazing that the thing they needed was already there? The goodness of God has already put the solution to your problem next to your problem. He's already there. God shows him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. (laughs) So Moses doesn't complain. He cries out to God and God does something in his situation. Isn't that amazing? Point number two, cry out to God first. Cry out to God first. It blows my mind how many people I see, and I'm going to pick on Facebook again, how many people I see on Facebook who go, they'll type something in, Lord, the kids is crazy. I stubbed my toe. The car's broke. Please pray for me. It doesn't sound bad, right? But I'm going, why not not say that and take your problems to God and let him fix your problem? And if you want to post something on Facebook, post the, the car broke, the kids were crazy, but I prayed, God showed up, he did this, praise God, the kids are still alive, I'm going to sleep, I'm not arrested. But, but what do we do? We complain to people who can't fix our problems. <clears throat> Let your husband make you mad. Who are you going to? To your best girlfriend. Girl, let me tell you what he did to me. Let your wife make you mad. You know who your husband's going to? Nobody. Because we're stubborn. We don't talk to nobody. But we'll go to people and complain about the situation instead of going to the God who can change the situation. Right? How about if we go to God first, let him do something, and then we turn around and tell our friends what God did? Okay. Point number two is to cry out to God first. This is the second week in a row God's given me this point. Cry out to God first. Let me make the point. Here's the point. If you don't cry out to God first, it's almost like you're spitting in his face. If you don't cry out to him first, you're saying you're my last resort and not my first resort. You're saying I'll call you when I need you, but only when I need you because I don't want you to mess up what I'm doing. You see, when you don't go to God first, you dishonor him, you disrespect him. It's almost like you're spitting in his face saying I'll only come to you when I can't figure it out on my own. When we go to other people first, think about this. What if your kids, what if you found out that your kids were talking to somebody else instead of talking to you? What if you found out your kid's heart was broken by something and they went to somebody else instead of you? How would that make you feel? I wonder if God feels the same way. When we go to everybody else but him. If that's true, then the opposite is true, that when we go to him first, we show him honor. 
We show him respect. We, we tell him that we trust him. It's saying, Lord, I trust you. I'm not wasting my time with other people. I'm not, it, it don't even pay to complain, Lord. That don't get me nowhere. I'm spinning my wheels. I'm going to come to you first because you're my source. You're my strength. You're my provider. You're my protector. Come on, somebody. That's who you are. That's what you're saying to God when you go to him first. And I just can't help but believe that God wants us to learn to go to him first. Go to him, let him do a miracle, let him do something supernatural, and then post it on Facebook. And you don't have to ask people to pray for you. You can ask them to rejoice with you. Right? Rejoice with me because of what God's done. And your friends will like you better. Man, I'm so glad she's going to God now. Whew. I'm just picking. Cry out to God first. Why does it take us so long to go to God? What's the hard thing about going to God? If he's a good, good father, if he's the perfect father, if his perfect love casts out all fear, then why don't we go to him? Why do we have a hard time going to God? It could be because you're bitter at him. Because you're not going to go to people you're bitter at, right? Because you're bitter. You could need, they could have the only solution to your problem and you're not going because you're prideful and bitter. You know, I'll, I'll sit here and die before I go ask them for help. <laughs> Just a little side note here. The story has two components to it it's a it's a tree and it's water in the bible the tree usually represents the cross and the water usually represents the word and the lord gave me a word on it and you can take this as you want it but i feel like it's something that he wants to say to some of us in here this morning but some of you refuse to read your bible because it makes you bitter you won't open this thing up because it comes against your lifestyle it comes against your desires and your lust and your passions. It makes you change, and so you won't read this. So when you read this, it makes you bitter, and you take it and you put it to the side. You say, I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't want nothing to do with God. I don't want nothing to do with his word because it's making me change. I don't want to change. You ever felt that way? Listen, this Bible has beat me up and down. It's caused me to die. It's caused me to repent. It's caused me to say I'm sorry. It's caused me to return things to people. It's caused me to love my enemies. To bless those who curse me. Not like I want to bless them. (laughs) I got a blessing for you. But if we'll take what God shows us in his word that comes against us and we'll bring it to the foot of the cross where Jesus is and we'll go, Lord, would you help me deal with this? And you'll crucify your flesh. The Bible says that you'll go from bitter to better. Instead of letting this make you run away, why not let it make you draw close? Right? To draw closer to the cross. So number one, don't lose your praise. Number two, cry out to God first. Number three, let God lead you. This one's important. Because we're pretty independent people, aren't we? You didn't have to answer me. I already know. 
We're, we're pretty independent. And we can lead ourselves, can't we? A lot of times we think we got everything under control and we're smart and we're talented and we're gifted. By the way, all that comes from God anyway, so you ain't got nothing. Right? What if we let God lead us? John chapter 10, verse 27 says this. Jesus is talking. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. <laughs> Isn't that scary? Look at me. God knows you. <laughs> Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. <laughs> and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. Isn't that an amazing verse? That Jesus is saying that my sheep hear my voice. Come on now, that's a promise for every one of us, that we can hear his voice. You can hear his voice. There's a verse in Psalms that says, Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You remember hearing that verse? You know what that word, word, means? It means the written word. It means this Bible will lead you, but it also means the spoken word will lead you. That means that you can hear God's voice and he can lead you. Listen to me. If you'll listen, he'll tell you not to make that stupid decision. He'll tell you to put the TV up and run out the house. He'll tell you to not drink that, smoke that, or chase that. He will tell you. Amen? He will tell you. He'll tell you not to make that business decision. He'll tell you to leave that person alone. If you'll listen, let God lead you. Let him lead you. He says, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. Come on, is it better to be in your own will or to be in God's will? Come on, it's better to follow Jesus than to follow yourself. Right? Because he's the only one that can give you eternal life and he's the only one that can protect you. So why not follow him? Because I'm prideful. Because I'm stubborn. Because I'm hard-headed. Because I want to do it my own way. Because I think I'm all that in a bag of chips. He created me from the get-go. He gave me the talents and the gifts and the abilities that I have now. And he anoints me to use them. I really come to the table with nothing. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you're nothing. I'm sorry you had to hear that in church, but you're nothing. <laughs> Verse 26 in Exodus. Watch this. I'm going to see if I can wrap this up. Verse 26. And... Into verse 25. So there he made a statute and, a, and, a, and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. Watch this. He tested them. God tested the nation of Israel. He delivered them. He heard their praise. He saw their dancing. And he popped up a test in front of them. Pass or fail? Did they pass or fail? They failed. They failed. Moses passed. And God showed himself strong again. 
So he tested them. Verse 26 and said, watch this now. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, you need to underline, put a box around and eyebrows over his because it's you need to do what's right in his sight and not your own sight. We justify our own ways. You can't justify God's ways. It's just his ways. In his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on which on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So watch this. He says, if you'll hear my voice, if you'll follow my commands, if you'll do what is right in my sight and not your own, I'm not going to let your past continue to haunt you. I'm going to wash you and cleanse you of your past. How many of you would like to get rid of some junk from your past? How many of you can say, man, if I could just change my last name, Lord, that would be so great. (laughs) I can't. I'm the man. But he's saying that if you'll follow after me, the diseases of the Egyptians won't be on you anymore. I'm the God who heals. That's generational curses. That's generational junk. That's generational baggage. That means my family stuff, my my environmental stuff that I had when I was growing up, when he delivered me out of that bad land, it doesn't have to be with me anymore if I'll continue to follow him. It's conditional. Follow him and do what's right in his sight. You know what I love about sin? Is that I love sin. (laughs) I love sin. I love to sin. You know why? Because it satisfies my flesh. I got this craving inside. You can call it bluebell, but there's many other things. It's just a craving inside that just has to have it. Now, y'all must be praying for me about bluebell because I just really don't crave it anymore. So you can back off on the prayers. It's like, it's like I, they could be in the house and it doesn't even call my name anymore. I'm like, who's praying for me? Anyway. But there's something inside of me that wants to satisfy me. And my way feels right. But can I tell you, it's wrong and it leads to death. If my way was that good, Jesus would have never had to die. I got to crucify my flesh. The Bible says daily, (laughs) daily crucify my flesh. I got to let God lead me. Follow his statutes, follow his commands, do what's right in his sight. You want to know the results of that? When we make up our minds to live his way and not our way anymore, there's some results. There's actually some consequences. There's consequences when you don't follow God's way. You all know that, right? If you go cuss people out, it's going to happen to you, right? You go be mean, you go steal, it's going, it's, there's consequences, right? Well, the opposite is true, too. When you follow him, there's consequences. It tells us right here in the story that there's consequences. The first one is this, is that we, 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 he will cleanse us from the place we just left. I just talked about that. He'll cleanse us from our past. He'll wash away our past, never broadcast it again. Come on, somebody needs to be excited about that. Then the second thing he'll do is he'll lead us into oasis. What does that mean, Pastor? That sounds like foreign doctrine. No, it's not foreign doctrine. He will lead us into oasis. Watch verse 27. Then they came to Elam, 
where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Wow. He delivered them from the Egyptians, brought them through the Red Sea, killed and wiped out their enemies, brought them to a place that was bitter, performed another miracle, showed them a tree. Moses throws the tree into the water. It becomes sweet. They drink the water. They live. Then he leads them and gives them a command to follow me, not yourself. And he leads them into a place called Elam. Twelve good wells. Seventy palm trees, baby. Sounds like a place you want to go. How many of you want to go to Oasis? I'm not talking about the club. I'm talking about like the real Oasis. (laughs) I don't even know if there's an Oasis club around, but if there is, don't go. When we follow Jesus, we can be cool in a crisis. When we follow Jesus, we can be, we can, he, he can keep us calm in the middle of chaos. You see, the thing about the oasis is, is that the oasis, the 12 wells and the 70 palm trees, where was it at? It was still in the wilderness. It was still in the desert. What does that mean? That means that God's not so much worried about plucking you out of your bad situation as he is about giving you oasis in the middle of your situation. He didn't pluck them out of the wilderness. They were still in the wilderness, but they were experiencing oasis in the middle of the wilderness, which means this, that you can have crisis come your way and you can still be better and not bitter. Circumstances can pop up around you and you don't have to act like the world. Right? You can be calm in the middle of a storm. It's the kind of thing Jesus had when he's sleeping in the boat and the disciples were drowning and freaking out. He was in the same boat. Right? He led them to a place called Oasis. So what does that mean? That tells me this, that when I decide to follow Jesus and not Jamie, I go from bitter to better. I go from hot, dirty, and sweaty to cool, crisp, and clean, right? Quenched. Twelve good wells. There's plenty of good water to drink. There's shade. It means my life can be cool. 